The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council, and if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. There is this one person right now in the world that drives me absolutely crazy. This person sometimes gets really angry. Sometimes this person rants and rages and says things that hurt other people. Sometimes this person makes mistakes, but their pride won't let them admit it. Sometimes this person even posts or declares things publicly, things that are preposterous to others, sometimes even provoking a fight. Sometimes this person's words even kill mortally wounding people unintentionally or even intentionally. Oh, this person, I tell you, 
This person, sometimes I see the things they write, and I wish they would take them back or undo them, but they can't. And so the words are out there, released into the ethosphere, contributing to its toxicity and general malaise. Furthermore, this person breaks promises, is even divorced, breaking a sacred covenant. And this person has even looked at other people lustfully. Sometimes it seems as though this person cannot get one single human relationship right. This person is ridiculous and absurd, in my opinion. This person creates situations where they themselves benefit and others clearly do not. And sometimes this person's accrual of wealth means that others go without. Sometimes this person operates out of a position of power and doesn't even realize it. Sometimes this person uses re religion to further their personal agenda, I swear. I battle with this person every single day from the moment I wake up to the moment I fall asleep. This person, this person drives me absolutely crazy and I wonder if you know who I might be talking about today. If you know me, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm talking about President Trump. But today you would be wrong. As much as I would love nothing more than to go off on a diatribe like that and have good reason to regarding this farcical acquittal or this ludicrous tangle between himself and Roger Stone, William Barr, and the Department of Justice, etc., etc., I will exercise self-control, feeling confident that he will provide fresh fodder for whichever future random date when he might be the illustration of the sermon But today. I am not talking about President Trump, although certainly the above commentary describes him to a T. Today I'm talking about myself. While it crushes me to my core to think that a description of myself might be interchangeable with our current president in some ways, in fact, in many ways, this is most certainly true. In describing him, I'm describing myself. I detest my temper and my occasional rants, whether they be public, over social media, or privately in my own home. I sometimes irrationally provoke people, usually the ones I love most, because I was raised to believe that life is a battle for survival. I have my mother's sharp Irish tongue, and I learned early on to come out fighting if backed into a corner. In my life, I have looked at people lustfully. I have broken many promises, some minor, some sacred. I have been divorced. I have used my power and position to swear by things I have no business swearing by. In short, in today's gospel, Jesus describes the person I despise most and the person with whom I battle most, who turns out not to be my personal enemies, not even the president, but my very own self. You see, what Jesus does in this gospel is very interesting. He dramatically, indeed impossibly, raises the bar from what has been said before to what he says now. Jesus says, you've heard it said before, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you even say anything harmful to or about another person, you've killed them. And he continues, you've heard it said before, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. If you even look at a person lustfully, you've committed <coughs> adultery with them. And there's more. Jesus says, you've heard it said before that a man may lawfully divorce his wife, but I say to you, 
If you divorce her, why don't you cause her to commit adultery, which goes right back to the last thing that he just said about adultery. Finally, Jesus says, you heard it said, do not swear falsely. But I say to you, don't swear at all, ever, on heaven or on earth. But just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So Jesus takes all of these expectations of former times, which to be sure were challenging in and of themselves enough, and raises them to an impossibly high standard. And then, in a final flourish at the end of this chapter, chapter 5, as if his ex expectations were not high enough, concludes with this statement, be perfect then, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect in this. This is a bit too much. And yet, and yet, if we are completely honest, I think, we might acknowledge that we hear Jesus' words today with two strong and seemingly opposing voices. On the one hand, we hear the impossibly high expectations that Jesus has, perfection in thought, in motive, in conduct, and intent. On the other hand, we know that we are a people of grace, believing and confessing that God loves us even when, or especially when, we fail to meet God's expectations of us. So how do we reconcile these two opposing realities, the command to be perfect and the knowledge that we never ever will be? How do we live in the reality that me and you and Trump and Sanders and Buttigieg and Warren are all in the same boat of imperfect people, all aspiring for perfection in our own ways and yet all knowing in our guts we'll never achieve it? In other words, why would Jesus tell us to be perfect when we all know we can't be? Is Jesus, who is supposed to be all about grace, is he setting us up for failure? That doesn't seem to be very Jesus-like. An illustration. When Christian was in the seventh grade, he participated in cross-country. While these days he's become a really great runner, back when he started, he was okay. He was average. At one particular meet, he finished with an average time, and I rushed to meet him at the finish line, as mothers and people do. I sought him out and found him and hugged his adolescent, sweaty body to mine and said, congratulations, you did great. To which he replied, no, I didn't. My time sucked, and you know it. And I did know it, but I insisted. I said, no, 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 no. It's hot and humid and the course was tough. And he snapped, don't make excuses for me. And just then his coach came up and said to him, what happened to you out there? And I was horrified and furious. How dare he be so brazen and bold with my 13-year-old son? Doesn't he know that he might crush his adolescent spirit or wound his budding self-esteem? But... Christian looked at him and said, I don't know what happened, coach. I hit a wall. And coach said, yeah, I know. You can do better. Let's talk. And just like that, coach puts an arm around Christian and they walk off talking about running, leaving me alone feeling quite silly. This was a profound moment. Not only to realize that my presence was beginning to diminish as the role of teachers and coaches was beginning to increase, but more importantly, that Christian did not need to hear my unconditional and peppy cheering of mommy loves you, which he already knew and knows and always will know. 
He needed coach to pull him aside and say, you can do better. And it occurs to me in light of today's gospel, we need both of those voices, that somehow Jesus gives us both of these messages, one of unconditional, infinite love, which we call grace, and also the message, you can do better. And there's nothing wrong with God having expectations of us any more than it's wrong for a coach to have expectations of his athletes, of excellent, if not perfect, performance in the race that is set before them. But this is the sweet spot where we Lutherans struggle. Because we know that God does not love us because of the things that we do. We know that God will love us no matter what we say or do, no matter how many times we rant and lose our temper and break promises and harm relationships, no matter what crimes we're acquitted of or what we tweet or post. And yet, God expects us to do better. And we can. God equips us by upping our game, by feeding the hungry, by clothing the naked, by comforting the grieving, by fighting oppression and injustice, by striving to be a presence of peace in a world gone mad. This then changes how we hear the conclusion of Matthew chapter 5. Can it be then that when Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect, that Jesus is not setting us up for failure by putting an expectation on us that is impossible, but rather issuing us a challenge, even a dare, steeped in the grace that we already know to be true, that God loves us absolutely, that Jesus died for us irrevoc irrevocably, that the Spirit gathers us all in unconditionally and at the same time challenges us, dares us to do better. Can it be that Jesus knows we battle our own selves within as fiercely as our most despised enemies without? And furthermore, can it be that in his eyes we are all the same? Children created by God, forgiven by God, and loved by God. Jesus knows that. While we strive for perfection, we won't ever achieve it. But be perfect. Try. Do better. Jesus also knows that when we stumble, we stumble on grace. Can we be so bold as to believe this? Can our ears be open to both voices? That God is both coach saying, you can do better? As well as mother cheering, mommy will always love you forever and for always, no matter what. Amen.